Last week, that's all right, I just wanted to make sure I wasn't hitting that guitar. Trust me, you don't want to hear me try to play it. <laughs> all right, so last week we began our year-long theme for 2021, A Year of Prayer. And while this year has only just begun, it has shown us something obvious of our need of understanding and passion with prayer to the Heavenly Father. To this end, we began our series last week in Matthew, 20, Matthew 6, looking at the model prayer, or also known as the Lord's Prayer. We specifically looked at the beginning of verse 9, which said, Our Father in Heaven, in which Mark uh, preached on the question of who is God, looking at His attributes, His character, and how His names reveal to us His nature. This week we are looking at the second half of verse 9. So open up your Bibles or look at the screen as we read together God's Word from Matthew 6, verses 9-13. through 13. This is the Word of the Lord. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, holy and almighty God, open our hearts today as we come before you, Father, that we may know you more and that your truth may awaken in us a desire to follow after you with more fervor or for the very first time. Father, we ask this in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Now, I know it may have been a long time because of COVID, but I expect mostly everyone in this room or online has been to the movie theater sometime in their lifetime. Am I right? Yes. And as you go to the movie theater to see a film before you actually get to see it, but after you've paid an arm and a leg for those movie tickets and after you've gotten all your popcorn and your snacks, you get the privilege, which you know usually seems like an eternity, of watching previews before the movie actually begins. Now, when I go to the movies, being distracted as I usually get, I usually forget what movie I'm even going to see at that point because of the length of these previews. But a few years ago, I was at a theater, and in the middle of seeing all of those previews, there was one that has caught my attention and remains in my mind to this day. Many of you may remember Marvel um, with Disney produced the first Ant-Man movie. And even if you don't remember it or have not even seen it, you can basically surmise the entire movie from the title. A man gets a miniaturization shoot and shrinks himself down to the size of an ant and fights um, for, for good. Now, the introduction of this plot and of the movie itself wasn't really all that clever. No, the preview itself was what was most interesting because they showed it in miniature form. They showed it so small that if you were watching it on your television, it would have been about one inch by two to three inches, almost like microscopic. There was no way for you to actually see the images, though you could hear everything that was going on. And the producers, they, they realized that if a person truly wanted to know more about the film by hearing it, they would investigate it. They would go online and they would find the trailer in its full magnified form 
and that that would make them want to go to see the film. And the studio was right. It was a really high-grossing film because they wanted to see it in its true magnified form. Now, in the second half of Matthew 6, 9, we see something very familiar or something similar to that. The phrase, hallowed be your name, is all that we see in the second half of verse 9. It's short, but it's a deep and profound phrase. Now, that word hallowed, it's, it's an older word, which simply means holy or set apart. Yet this word hallowed, it is not a declarative word, but it's an action word. When we pray, hallowed be your name, we are not declaring that God's name is holy, which it is. Rather, we are praying that God's name be shown as holy. This phrase, it's a petition. Now, when we pray, hallowed be your name, when we see this petition, we, we may not know what that means, but you may have seen petitions all the time. You maybe even have signed one or two. For a petition reflects your desire to see something changed, some action to be accomplished so that things get better. Therefore, when we pray, hallowed be your name, we are asking God to make his name holy in us and to us. Now, God's name doesn't need to be made more holy, for he is the definition of holiness. As Hebrews 13.8 shows us, God does not change. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And this petition, it's not asking God to become more holy. Instead, we're asking God the Father to hallow His name, His holy name, in us. To magnify it in us, like the movie, so we may see a greater picture of who God is more clearly. So we may understand Him of who He is and what He has done and live according to His Word. Now that being said, we can and we should pray by giving thanks and adoration for God being holy. We see this again and again in Scripture, like in 1 Samuel 2, verse 2. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none beside you. He is holy, and He deserves to be adored. And in many ways, adoring God for His holiness is when we are dressing God as Father. Because that is part of who He is. And we can't separate His attributes from His title of Father. Because His holiness shows us His perfection as the Father. When we pray, hallowed be your name, we are asking the Father to hallow His name in us, to magnify in it, so we may live according to His word. This morning, we're going to focus on three results of asking the Father to hallow His name in us. One, asking the Father to hallow His name in us so that it would drive us to live in a healthy fear of Him. Two, asking the Father to hallow His name in us so that it drives us to hate our sin and to show us the need of His grace. And three, asking the Father to hallow His name in us drives us to desire worship and to desire to adore him. Let's look at this first let's look at this first result of asking the Father to howl his name in us. Either turn with me in your Bibles or look on the screen as we look at Psalm 99. Now, Psalm 99, it's a wonderful example of magnifying God's holiness. Psalm 99 1 through 5 and then verse 9 says this, "The Lord reigns, let the people tremble." He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. 
The Lord is great in Zion, and He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise You, Your great and awesome name. Holy is He. The King in His might loves justice. You have established equity, and You have, or yeah, and You have executed justice, righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at His footstool. Holy is He. And then verse 9 repeats almost exactly verse 5 saying this, Exalt the Lord our God and worship at His holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. In these verses we see again and again, if there was any doubt, God is holy. Meaning He is perfect and He is set apart from His creation. And this passage, it explores God's role as part of His perfection and His holiness. That He is God, the sovereign King over all of creation. Verse 1, it shows us that as King, as ruler over all, He actually reigns. God is not just some figurehead ruler. No, He actually reigns. He interacts and He rules over His creation. And He does so in perfection. Unlike any earthly ruler could ever possibly be, He is perfect. No ruler could even hold a candle to the perfect rule of God. And because of His perfection, because of His holiness, the people, they tremble before Him. The second half of verse 1, it shows us why the people tremble in fear. It's because He is the King of kings. It says this, He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. This is a long way of saying that God rules from His throne above in heaven. Back in the days of Moses, back in the days of Aaron and Joshua and all these others, the people <clears throat> the people had the ark. The ark of the covenant, which had two cherubims on top of it. And between them is where the Spirit of God resided. This verse is saying the same God who did all of these acts in the, in the days of Moses, Aaron, and Joshua, He is still reigning today. He made the earth quake. He split the Red Sea in two. He brought the ten plagues upon Egypt. He brought the Israelites through the desert with a pillar of fire and of cloud. And He provided them for 40 years in the desert with manna, quail, and water. And He is still ruler over His people, spiritual Israel, all who are followers of Jesus, whom He has adopted as His children. Yet God is not just ruler over Israel. He is ruler over all. Verse 2 also says that He he is exalted over all the peoples, which means that He is ruler over every person, every tongue, tribe, and nation. But why should we obey this ruler? Because of who He is. Because He is holy. Even His name is holy. Now that's an important aspect of this phrase that we've been looking at. Hallowed be Your name. So much so that we even have a whole commandment dedicated to how we are to use His name. The third commandment says this, you shall not take the Lord your God, or you should not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. This is an important commandment. 
and a very one with a very explicit consequence. Since God's name is so important, it is holy, and we must treat it as such. Not in the way that many people in the New Testament, the Pharisees and the Sadducees did, or in a way that modern Judaism does now, which is not ever really using God's covenant name. They avoided it. Instead, we are commanded to keep it holy to be set apart from ordinary use by holding it in a high regard. A person's name, it's part of their reputation, or at least our understanding of who they are. When we hold God's name at such a high, regarded position when we're using it, we see, we see the importance of God's holy name. Even when we use it in such a manner, we must be giving Him glory when we're using it, which gives Him honor, which elevates His name not only around those who follow Him, but those who do not know Him as Savior. A name, it might strike fear in people. Now, I... I am not a New York Yankees fan, but I'm going to use an illustration about the Yankees. Back in the days of old, the New York Yankees were known as Murderer's Row. Just hearing their names would strike fear in the, in the minds of the opposing players. God's name, His attributes, His actions, they caused this as well. For in Scripture, we see that God can, what God can and what ha- He has done. For instance, in Exodus 19, Right before God gives the Ten Commandments to Moses on Mount Sinai, God tells Moses to warn the people. Warn the people not to get too close to the mountain. And then he even tells Moses to set up barriers so that people can't even go up the mountain. Then when God descends upon Mount Sinai, he does so in style with fire, with lightning, with thunder and smoke, with a loud trumpet blast so that all of Israel trembled. They were in fear of His awesome power and His might, and they were learning to fear the name of the Lord. Now there is a reason to be in fear and to have a fear of God. If you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the holiness of God should be scary to you. You should be very fearful of Him because God cannot be in the presence of sin. And without Jesus robing you in His holiness, you cannot be in the presence of God when you sit in judgment before Him. And you will be cast out. Yet there is hope. There is hope because God, in His great grace, sent Jesus as the Savior of sinners. So that if you have Jesus as your Savior, you do not need to be fearful of Him and His holiness, for you are His. Now that does not mean we shouldn't have a fear of Him. Or in other words, we should have a humble respect of who He is, of His power, His might, His position as sovereign King over all. Recently, my youngest daughter, Esther, she, she was getting too close to the stove, too close to the burners. And I know, as most parents have, you have to teach your children to have a healthy respect of the oven and what it can do for and to them. The same is true with God. We must respect His holiness. We must respect His power, His might, and His title. 
giving him the respect and honor he is due because of who he is. The bestest illustration of respecting who God is and his power that I've ever seen comes from the Chronicles of Narnia. When the youngest girl, Lucy, is speaking to Mr. and Mrs. Beaver about the lion Aslan, who is ruler over all of Narnia, this passage says this. Lucy says, is he, is he quite safe? I shall rather feel nervous about be- meeting a lion. That you will, dearie. Make no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. But if there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then is he safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver is telling you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he is good. He is the king, I tell you. Like Lucy and the beavers, we need to have a healthy fear, a deep respect for who God is because of his goodness and righteousness. He is perfect and he is holy and he is just. And when we pray before God to have His name be hallowed in us, we are praying that God would magnify our understanding of Him, magnify our understanding of His character, so that we may respect and have a healthy fear of Him. Today, I urge you to ask yourself something. Ask yourself, do I have a healthy fear of God? of the God of creation as the sovereign ruler over all things? And if so, am I living in a manner that actually demonstrates this? Or do I live in a manner that is blind to His holiness and instead only living with a fear of man and worldly powers? For how we understand God's sovereignty affects our daily lives. A weak view of God's sovereignty, it reduces our dependence on Him for all things. And it places ourselves in the driver's seat. While when we have a strong view of God's sovereignty, this puts our dependence on God alone and gives us peace and gives us comfort, especially when we are in the midst of suffering. So I urge you today to ask yourselves this morning, Do I have a high view of God's sovereignty or have I limited it because of my desire to be in control? Now, not only must we be asking the Father to hallow His name in us so that we have a healthy fear of Him, but that fear should also drive us to hate our sin and to rely on His grace for salvation. We see this vividly in Isaiah 6, verses 1-7. to And now for context, the prophet Isaiah, he is speaking the vision that God is giving him, which says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with His glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of Him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips." 
For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal, and that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Now this passage, it may confuse us with all of that imagery. But a simple summary of this passage of Isaiah sees the holiness of God. His perfection, His sinlessness, and reflects back to Isaiah how sinful He actually is. How sinful Isaiah is. And how sinful we all are. Isaiah, he sees his sin and he despises it. And he repents of his uncleanliness and desires to be holy. He desires to be pure. He desires to be clean. And we we are all a people of unclean lips, as Matthew 12 says. And we are radically depraved. And we do not hallow His name at all times and in all places. We constantly fail. And in the midst of this, Isaiah cries out to be cleansed inwardly. He he cries out to have God create in him a new heart. Like King David in Psalm 51. And then God's holiness, it manifests itself in God's grace. And He makes His people holy. By this, I mean God loves His creation so much that even though we are in sin, keeping us from the presence of God, He graciously forgives us. He graciously forgives our sin, as we see in Isaiah 6-7. And He sends the Savior to take the righteousness of God, illustrated by that coal, and places it so that we are covered by His righteousness, His holiness. Now to take this out of the metaphorical context, we can see that plain that God's grace is as plain as day right here. It's revealed to us progressively in Scripture as well. That when, when, when and while sin still reigns in our hearts, God sent Jesus, the Son, the second part of the Trinity, to earth to live a perfect, a sinful life according to the law. And then to die as a sacrifice for sin. A perfect sacrifice. Taking all of sin upon Himself and dying. Taking the punishment that we deserve on the cross. And then He remained in the power of death for a time. But three days later, He burst forth from the grave, defeating death, and now sits at the right hand of the Father. And whoever believes in Him will be forgiven. Your sin is atoned for if you believe in Jesus as your faith, as your Savior. And the cherry on top of all of this is that God then declares you holy because His holiness is your holiness. It is the one of the benefits of being a child of God. This is why if you are a follower of God and you and, and you are not in awe of Him and you do not hate your sin, then we must repent of it. And live as God has declared us, holy. As 1 Peter 1.16 calls us, to be holy as I am holy, says the Lord. We are to live lives that demonstrate the holiness of His name. That means living lives that are set apart. 
Living lives that are for the purpose that He has given us. Because God has created us to live a certain way. The Westminster Shorter Catechism question 1, it talks about our purpose. It says, what is man's chief end? Or in modern language, what is our purpose in life? And the answer is that our purpose in life is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. When we are living lives that are holy, that are set apart for God and His will, we are following our purpose. So ask yourself today, are you living in such a way that when people look at you, that they see the holiness of God manifested in His grace that is reflected back? Or just the sinfulness of man? When we go before God in prayer, we must be asking Him to help us live lives that hallow His name in every area of our lives. In work, in school, at home, in our relationships, our marriages, and our recreational activities. For if you are a follower of God, you must live as God has declared you to be. Holy. Set apart for Him and Him alone. Hallow His name in all the earth as He is howling His name in you. Praise be to God by worshiping Him and adoring Him. This brings us to our last point. When we pray, hallowed be your name, we are asking the Father to hallow his name in us so that we desire to worship and adore him. We see this in Revelation 4 and 5. Revelation 4 verses 5 to 11 say this, From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumbles and and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there were there was as it were a sea of glass like crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third was like a, like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to God who sits upon the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who sits upon the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before and say, You are worthy, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For You created all things, and by Your will they were created and have their being. Now in that, in that passage, again, we see a lot of imagery. And we're not having time to unpack it all, but giving a bird's eye view of what this vision we see from the Apostle John is looking at. He is seeing the throne of God and all of the created beings are represented around and before the throne. The entire universe, it is pictured as having its center in the throne with all angelic and human creatures subject to the one who sits upon it. God is sovereign over all eternity, and we see it here in this passage. Like we saw before in Exodus 19, with flashes of lightning, thunder, and fire come through through the throne, showing us His holiness is exuding from the throne where He reigns. 
And taking all of this in, all of the glory, all of His holiness and His sovereign power, God is showing us in verses 8 and 11 a hymn of worship. A song of worship according to God declaring that He is holy. And this is actually the same song of praise that we saw in our previous passage in Isaiah 6. God is worthy and praise to the only, and, and praise be to the only response that we can have. That, he, <clears throat> that when we are in His presence, when we are in His holiness, we must bow down and worship before Him. All of creation in this passage is praising Him in His three persons. Holy is the Father. Holy is the Son. Holy is the Spirit. Holy is the Lord God Almighty. God is worthy to be praised as we sang before. And when we ask God to hallow His name in us, we are asking God to make His holiness so obvious to us that we are driven to worship Him at every moment of every day. For as we saw before in, our, in, our, in, in, our, um, in the sermon, our purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy Him. Which worship is both corporately like we're doing this morning together and as a lifestyle. When we are worshiping and adoring Him, not just in the here and now, but we are to worship and adore Him for all of eternity. That is what this vision is indicating. A snapshot of the worship service that will last forever. For who he is and was, or for who he was and is and is to come, the Holy One is worthy of worship. His eternal nature demands an eternity of worship. His holy works call us to a life of obedience. For he is the Lord over all of creation. And as we ask God to magnify his holiness in us, we are at the same time asking God to create in us a heart of worship so that we desire to praise God from the depths of our soul as we see in Psalm 103 for who He is, for His holiness, for His goodness, His power, His might, His love, and His grace as, all, as well as all of His works of creation and salvation. Not only do we see this in Revelation 4, But we also see this in Revelation 5, that God's holiness drives us to adore Him in this, in this way. In verse, uh, verse 11 to 14 of Revelation 5, it says this, Then I looked and heard a voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice. They were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Again, like in Revelation 4, we see this from a bird's eye view. God is being worshipped for His holiness. But this time, let's look at the context of their, or the content of their worship. God is the center of His worship. This, all of this worship is focused on Him and Him alone. 
Their focus is not on their own experience, but on their, but on the actions of God, the actions of His character. They are praising Him for being worthy. He is the only one that is to be worshipped because He is the only one who is perfect and who is holy. He is worthy. And He sacrificed His Son for His people. And they are worshipping Him in this passage by adoring Him for His actions that were taken on their behalf. The Son was slain. He died for us. He rose for us. He is Emmanuel. His holiness is shown to us by His grace. Praise be to the Father. Praise be to God the Son. Praise be to the Holy Spirit. Three and yet still one. As we have seen this morning, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, praying to the Father who is in the throne upon heaven, let us ask God to hallow His name in us so that we may fear Him so that we may hate our sin and bask in His grace while worshiping and adoring Him for all of eternity. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Please, be, please join me in prayer. Mm-hmm. Heavenly Father, holy and almighty God, please magnify in our hearts Your holiness to us. Help us to know You. Help us to live for You. Create in us a deep desire to worship You, to adore You, to revere You, and to be in awe of You. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we close this morning, we're going to sing a song. We're going to sing a song, Holy, Holy, Holy. For this is who God is. He is the Lord God Almighty, the One who is and is to come. And just like the song in the throne room in Revelation and Isaiah, these words should echo in our minds daily as we seek to worship Him, as we seek to adore God out of our reverence for Him, out of our thankfulness for His grace that He has given to us. As a way to meditate on this, we're going to be singing that song, Holy, Holy, Holy. And I want us to look at this first verse. It says, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song shall rise to Thee. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Our holy God is merciful and He is mighty. May we sing His mercies every morning, every afternoon and every evening and each and every day for eternity as He hallows His name in us so that we may glorify Him with our words, our actions, and our thoughts. Let us stand and sing, Holy, Holy, Holy.